Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. I'm feeling good today, folks. I'm feel, I, got, I got the leather coat on, man. I was out walking around Stockholm today. It's raining like hell, but it doesn't matter. It's Stockholm summer. Rain! Wherever you are in the world right now, thanks for tuning in to In the Trenches. If you are listening to us on one of our audio broadcasts right now, thank you very much. But you know where we want you? We want you on our YouTube official channel, which is Ryan Roxy Official. And we've got that subscribe button right there that Vic puts up every week and week out. We want you to hit that subscribe button so you can always be alerted to our shows and get in on the live chat that we have up and running right now. Because I see you all there, you In the Trenches faithful. Thank you very much for showing up. Are you guys ready? I know I am. Our guest today is a founding member. And you know how much I like founding members on In the Trenches. We had one last week with KK Downing, but a founding member of a band that greatly influenced me on my musical journey. Hell, I even had the belt buckle. Don't worry, we're going to get into that in just a little bit. What? Belt buckle? Huh? (laughs) But as things happen with many bands, at a certain point, Things start to break down, right? There's a finger pointing, people villainize, you know, band breakups 101 sort of stuff. But the difference was that after that inevitable reunion tour, there were still definitely two separate camps that for whatever reason, and to this day, do not see things the same way. And although both camps have had awesome success with their respective careers, I want to focus on the man who is responsible for writing seven out of the eight of their top 10 hits. He also has just released what he says is his last and final album, 26 East Volume 2. Right? That's 26 East Volume 2. I'm going to try and solve this and all the other mysteries regarding the band and the man because I'm digging deep into the trenches with singer-songwriter, keyboardist, and founding member of the band Sticks. Would you please welcome Dennis DeYoung? Hello, Dennis. Triple R, triple R. That's who you. This is this is Ryan Roxy rocks. He's got R's. He, <laughs> Out of the he gate. So much. He's not one, not two. Triple three. R. How you are know. things over there in in, in, in Sweden? Uh, right now they're wet. I'll tell you right now, you they're wet. And you being in, are you in the Chicago area? I want to say I am. Okay. Because right before the show, I was telling my producer Vic, I say, you know what? There's something about Chicago dudes. I get I get on with them. And the minute you came on for sound check and you were prompt and early, thank you very much, because that's the way true rock legends and professionals are. They're on time, right? Yes. <laughs> but, my mother said uh, be on time or stay home, you dummy. Hey, my boss says that all the time. But wow. <laughs> I get along and, and Alice you could say is a de facto Detroit you know, he's a Michigan guy, but he he's he's spent a lot of time in, in Chicago. He lived there for a while. Um but the guys in Cheap Trick, um I get along with well uh, chips enough from enough's enough. So I mean, you you're sort of the godfather of all of this, I think, because you're a founding member of the band Sticks. You started the band Right in, I think, is it was it the address of the album that you just put out? Is that where you started the band on 26 East? Yeah, uh, 26 East, 101st place was the address of my family home. It was a two flat, 
which is essentially a stacked apartment building. My grandparents lived downstairs. We lived upstairs. And in the basement of, of that house, we had two Italian kids who lived across the street, the Panazzo brothers. And uh, in 1960, oh my God, some, he's playing one man julep I by think, Ray Charles. And that's you on accordion because I don't think you get enough uh, song, I don't think you get enough music credits on the albums as playing accordion. It's always keyboards well, and piano and singer songwriter, but the accordion, does it come up all the time or do you play a lot of it on the new album? Well, maybe? the thing is, uh, it was an Italian neighborhood and my mother was 100% Italian, so playing the accordion turned out to be the law. So when I was seven, I started playing the, the cordeen. And remember, it was like 1954, maybe? 1954. And so accordions were very, very popular in America. It was before they really electrified guitars in the way that they would become electrified. Oh, my God. He's so cute. Um, so <laughs> You've always so, had the hair, though, man. You've always had okay. the, the really cool haircut, man. You know, my mother said, you never look better when I combed your hair. That's an Italian mother. So uh, nonetheless, uh, we we formed this little band because let's face it, Triple R, we know why we do this. This is the truth now, kids. If you want to watch bullshit programs, tune on to something else. If you want to listen to an old guy who's got some things figured out, here's how it goes. Guys like you and me, we try so hard. We practice so much. We have this ambition because essentially we're trying to please someone who cannot be pleased. That would be either mommy or daddy. And you're, I don't need to know your story because mm. this is my. <laughs> Interesting. In my case, it was my mom. And uh, because uh, the firstborn Italian sons, they get all the attention. Everybody knows this. So what, what drove me through my entire career and still to this day, not in the same way, was I wanted to please mama. So we played the three Panazzo brothers and I, we made this little band in 1962 in that basement and we played, there they are, oh, they can stand. So um, <laughs> we played, there's the, is that a Dan Electro? I don't know what that is. So we're playing uh, our parents' music because in 62, this is really before uh, rock bands were really invented because we all know the Beatles invented the modern rock band. That wouldn't happen for two years after we'd been together when I saw them on Ann Sullivan. So that's the story of Sticks. Tree guys, as we say here in Chicago, on the same block, yeah. got together and formed the nucleus of the band. Well, I can see that band is a, a little similar to my first band in the sense that you, you, it wasn't traditional. The first band I was ever in, uh, we were called the Stratocasters because guess what guitar I played? But the reason why we were called that is because I had to come up with a name really impromptu at a, at a talent show, but it was three guitar players and that was it. So it was that, that there was no bass player, no drummer. At least you had a rhythm section and then accordion. So, I mean, how long before you started adding in guitars and started in, in this band, obviously a beetle beetle. Is that what I heard? You said something with a B, right? <laughs> <laughs> they were the ones, obviously, that turned you on. But were there some other bands that, like, like perhaps Emerson, Lake, and Palmer that uh, that sort of gave you inspiration uh, to, to take on keyboards and then eventually move it up into synthesizers and stuff like that? Well, that was later. That was, like, okay. in, the, in the late 60s. Um, but, when, we, when we saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 64, got a quick story about that. I'd, I'd heard the hype. And I had, um, I had heard, I want to hold your hand on the radio. And I didn't like the song. Uh, so I thought, who cares? So I was supposed to go to a Sunday night dance because that Sullivan show was on Sundays. 
and uh, to meet to meet chicks, Catholic <laughs> girl. So uh, I wasn't interested in, in, in watching the Beatles, but my best friend Dave, he'd had he bought the Beatle boots. He had meet the Beatles. He was you know he was one of those kids, and he said we got to watch him. So I watched him, and I went. I mean, I watched. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. That's all I need. That was it. He sang. I went. My life has changed. It was. I, I knew at that moment, like millions of people like me around the world, that that was what I was going to try to do for a living at that moment. I and, and so right after that, the three guys that were playing, you know, weddings decided they were going to try to play rock music. But that was the epiphany in my life. And and if you talk to musicians, because you're a lot younger than me, um, they will tell you. Mm, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'm still in that same old school, though, man. I remember it. Maybe sex, second generation of that, but I, yeah, I definitely yeah, remember. Sure. Like, like for you, the Beatles, and of course, I was influenced by the Beatles, but but my Beatles for me was Cheap Trick. And of course, Cheap Trick was directly influenced by the Beatles as well. So, you know. Yeah. 15 years later, what, what time? I, I know those guys. I know Rob Maria well and Rick. That was like 76, seven, seven, what, seven, what? 77, right around. They put their first two albums out in 77. And we were, yeah. we were talking about that. We're going to talk about that year and what, why it has so much importance to me, but there is the belt buckle that I used to, you know, sort of parade around in 1977. Did you ever own a sticks belt buckle by any chance? Do you have yes. And still, the funny thing is I have a, belt buckle but i can't find the albums you know because no seriously when you're doing this and you 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 get cartons of albums when they come out back in the and back in the day you think well there'll always be albums and so you give them away and you you, you abuse them because you die ah, there's a closet full and then suddenly there are none so i still have that belt buckle um and uh the, the problem is with the pandemic, uh, I can't wear it because my my sweatpants keep falling down. But <laughs> your sweatpants don't have belt loops. That's the thing. That's the problem. You know what happened this morning? I was in. I, I got up because I know I had to do the show. My my sweatpants, they stormed into my bedroom and demanded that I finally wash them. So <laughs> I. I'm actually wearing clothes today. Usually, for, uh, yeah, yeah, like waist down, folks. It's pretty casual. But uh, I, I went into town with my daughter today, and uh, we were walking around. So I actually have a, a jacket on. I have a shirt. It's like I'm. I feel almost like a normal person. I wrote. I wrote on the subway. Had my mask on still because I mean it's crazy. We're 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 driving in mass transit in uh, in the subways in Stockholm, and I know that there's a lot of people that are all vaxxed up here in Stockholm, and you're great for doing that but uh, at the same time it just does freak you out to this day right because we're not removed from it we're not out of it at all we talked a little bit about that too before i wrote a song on, on volume one of this two volume set and it's called uh with all due respect straight ahead you like it you should take a look at it with all due respect and in the video starts breaking news blah 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 it's it's a parody of news uh news broadcasts as i view it uh, in our country, and uh, this just in flashes says nobody knows nothing. This is my attitude. Nobody knows nothing. Maybe that should have been the, the name of the album cover. Or, <laughs> Twenty-six. So, nobody knows nothing. If if you watched the, the the human race over the last fifteen months, nobody knows nothing. We're scratching the surface on everything. You know, people go settle science. I think. I think. Wait a minute. When the Big Bang happened, wasn't science settled? I think it was. And then, but what, what, what's not settled is what humans know about it. So anyway, put a mask on, be careful, 
Don't right. be a stupid ass. And Two look- things. Number one, you may, you want to make the, the world a better place. There's only one rule. That's the golden rule. Try it on. Try it on. It'll make the human race better. Perfect. You want the others, simple as that. And number two, how about a little less hubris and a lot more humility? Because we don't know what we're doing. And if we can just admit it and say, you know, I just... I you're you're spitting out album titles one after the other. A little less hubris, a little more humility. I love it. Yeah, you know? the, the, but I'm done recording, so I'm not writing that down. You're but, fooling uh, yourself if you don't believe it. I love it. There's some qu- there's some lyric quotes. I love it. Um, let me ask you this. Um, and that was the first song that I heard from you guys. Um, the, in, in 1977, heard it on the radio, came out, and then I went out and bought, had my mom buy me the record. I remember that very well. But coming up to present day, because I want to get I want to get people um, excited and uh, knowledge knowledgeable about the new album that came up. But this is a there is two volumes, 26 East, uh, Volume One that you released last year, and the and t- Volume Two that just came out um, a couple months ago on I, I believe it was Frontiers, right? Frontiers Records. Yes, and, my buddies, you know, Perugino, they're in, uh, uh, in, in uh, Naples. Yeah, I thought they were in Italy, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> it all comes back to the Italians, right? And just trying to please the Italians, that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's it. I mean, the, you know, uh, who's got better food? Nobody. <laughs> I love it. Go back to that song, uh, that clip, if you can, Vic, or that picture, because I want to talk about that first song, Hello, Goodbye, because we were just talking about the Beatles. I listened to that track this morning. It is, how would you say, uh, ripe with some Beatles references, and I couldn't help notice a little bit of a Taxman guitar riff, because I'm all for the guitar riff. Slowed down a little bit and kind of maneuvered in this way and that, but uh, it is a basic, uh, your tribute and your sort of love for the Beatles, that song, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, be, because the, I picked 26 East as the reference point to where it began in my basement, uh, where, where it began, so shall it end. And same thing with the uh, Meet the Beatles uh, album. That's what that album cover is with me on it. It's me, like, a, like for how long? 60 years I've been trying to sneak into that photo. So finally, <laughs> it just made my own. And uh, hello, goodbye was uh, when you talk about. I never heard thought about taxman, but there's, uh, you know I, it's not taxman. I'm sorry, paperback rider. Paperback rider, ticket to ride. Yeah, yeah. There was a little uh, bit of a paperback rider vibe, and I, 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 all those albums. I think that was off of Rubber Soul and Revolver era. That yeah. was the, that was off that era. So many great songs, but the the paperback rider riff, I, I distinctly heard a little bit because the band that you got playing, again, all top notch guys all Chicago guys, right? So, which means I would get along with them. Um, tell us about that band and tell us about like who's playing on this, this uh, new album. Well, my live band has a guy from <clears throat> LA, a guy from Florida, a guy from Jersey, a guy from Nashville and a guy from Utah. Gotcha. And then there's me, but the, the band I recorded with because of COVID uh, and all this crazy stuff that's going on, I used my actual live band. There's two of the guys right there. Uh, that was Jimmy Leahy and August Zadra. Um, I use those guys, but I also use some Chicago cats. Uh, my, my, my buddy, Jim Peterick, who wrote I had the tiger and uh, all those songs for survivor and Ides of March. He lives three blocks from me. And, um, which is why I live in a gated community. I don't know if he could walk <laughs> in at the moment. So, um, he was the one that, there he is. Look at him. And you know what? He was born with purple hair. His mother was, his, his mother was so aghast 
that from a very small child, she made him dye his hair brown. And now eventually he said, I'm letting it go back to purple. So anyway, I have the tiger. Go back to that picture, Vic. He's the tiger king. Hold on. I think he might be the tiger. He might be actually training tigers in Vegas right now. Does he have his own show coming out? Love it. Yeah. This is, this is Siegfried and Dennis right here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, listen, he, he's, he kept, he's saying this to me. I quit. Okay. Ryan, I quit. I'm not making any more albums. The rock business is shit. The music business is, can I say that on this show? You can say whatever you want. Whatever yeah, you no fucking good. want. We know, we know it's no good. So we, we, we soldier on because that's who, who we are and what we do. But I got to the point in my life where I thought, yeah, I don't need this anymore. So Peter Rick worked on me. He kept saying, Dan, the, muse, the, the, the world needs your music. I said, have the world text me because I don't buy. So anyway, he and Serafino from Frontiers, they did a tag team on me, uh, worked on me for almost a year and a half, two years to make an album. Finally, I said, Jim, you can't make records without songs. You know, there's too many people making records these days who just because they can they can make music doesn't mean they're songs. You know this. You're a professional. The key to all this outside of the show off guitar players, which you're one of them, you're very, very good. Thank you I've very seen much, me, it was Generation Me. me gen, what is that song? Yeah, Me Generation. Thank you. Very yeah, much. it's great. You're, you're fantastic. But the truth of the matter is, it's the song first. It's the song. In small, in small numbers, you see, I got to go see that guitar player or that drummer. But the people come, they want to hear the songs that yeah. form their life. So I always looked at everything song first. And so I told Peter, I said, without songs, there's, this is just an exercise and we know how to play chords and sing and write and, and, and jump around. Who cares? And I didn't want the pressure on myself to try to write. 12 new songs that were great because you see behind me i see very much behind you yeah first of yeah. all that's just a green screen of uh, oh, it's no green screen that's the room. that's the real stuff that's the real deal yeah. folks like i said that's gene simmons's boot room that i have <laughs> <clears throat> but songs are it okay that's not a chicago one. guy gene gene's uh, a new york yeah, guy I, see there you go yeah There's i am not i told jim i don't want to um i, I don't want to have to write songs and have them be less. So the first thing was he sent me a couple song ideas. I thought, well, this, this, this is pretty good. So we got in a room, like I said, three blocks from here at his house. We sat down face to face and we said, okay. <clears throat> he said, help me finish these songs. Boom. You know, we're about the same age. I'm older than him by about three or four years, better looking. But we got together. Of course. And, and we just, you know, Southside guys, who had the same kind of uh, sense of humor, mm -hmm. life experiences, and it just went blissfully wonderfully. And we we had we wrote eight songs. So we had the songs. Step number one was okay. They don't suck. That was the concept. I had a concept album. It was don't suck was going to be the title of the concept album. Yeah. That was it. If you get the songs, I know how to make a record. We'll do it. We had the songs, and then we I ended up writing another 11 by myself or whatever it was, and had like 18, 19 songs. We gave them to Serafino at, uh, at Frontier. He says, I want them all. I said, you can't have them all. Choose the ones you like. And he said, I'll give you uh, two, two albums you can make. And, and I said, uh-huh. And he, and he says, and I'll double the lira. 
Aha, it all goes back to the lira. <laughs> I should, well, we, but you should have taken that because you know that Italy's on the Euro. They didn't, the Euro doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, I'm doing was, this to see, I want to see if you're paying attention, you shmeen. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I, okay, double the money. And that's why it, they came up with the title of um, Volume 1 and Volume 2 because, quite frankly, they couldn't think of anything more pretentious than that. So that's how this whole thing happened. I just wanted to do 11 or 12 songs. Wave goodbye to the fans. Tell them, thanks, you made me a rich man. That's what you did. <laughs> you took care of my family because I wrote some, I, 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 you know, here, here's how it works. Pay yeah. attention now. It's, I know you. I go in a room and I look for chords on a piano. And when I find the chords I like, I dream up notes that go on the chords. And then I think, well, what, what, what words would go on those notes? <laughs> And all I do is uh, I, I, I give you my point of view on my life and the life I see around me, hoping that you, the listener, will find yourself in my story. That's what I do. And when I, when I get that right, millions come to your doorway and say, you know, wait, Dennis, that's not your story. That's my story. That's what you thought when you heard us first, or mm. cheap trick, and you thought, those people are speaking my lingo. They're writing the songs that I wish I could write. I still just have to learn this damn instrument. But yeah, you you've you've done it. You you and, and it's and it's living proof. I mean, just look at the wall behind you. That your work ethic is bar oh, none. Hold on, I'm getting dizzy. I can't. Oh my god, what's going on? Somebody tell the cameraman to stand. I love it. Um, I, I, you know what though? Honestly. I, I do have a vinyl somewhere. It's it's it, it doesn't have all those fancy colors on it, whether it's silver or gold or yeah, what do yeah, they call yeah. this platinum? I've heard. Um, but the thing is, this work ethic that you have. And by the way, folks, if you're kind of confused that we're going back and forth between segments of the show, it's because we have Dennis DeYoung with us because his career encompasses decades, songs that you grew up with, songs that that will live on for a long, long time, folks. So we could go, we could do the animation, Vic. We could go back to go forward. We could have that, right? We could do... But we're going to talk about the future, too. We're going to talk about the new album, 26 Volume, or should I say, 26 East, Wheelbarrow of Money 1, and then... Uh, 26 East wheelbarrow of money delivery too. So you have uh, a very long goodbye. You know, you have a very extended farewell, but something tells me with your work ethic, is this really going to be it for you? The last recorded album? Well, wheel, wheelbarrow money. I wish that that were true. <laughs> uh, by the way, I think no, no offense to the Swedish people. I love them. Uh, but uh, the guy, that guy in Sweden who invented Spotify, you and I know where the money's going. Mm -hmm. Come on, you know where the money's going. Not to the musicians anymore. It's oh. a lot. Here, here, you know where the, you ever see a totem pole? Yeah. We musicians, we're, we're, we're the bo bottom puss on that thing. We've got robber barons up at the top, then record companies who are old robber barons. You know, by the time it gets to us, not much left. Anyway, that's you know not how, the point. You know how blue jeans have that little small pocket on the side? That's for all the money you make from Spotify. You can put all of that money there, that little tiny pocket that's next to your real, real pocket. I put a little post up of that. So you got a trillion, you got a trillion, a trillion streams 
here's eight dollars and 26 cents go get a hot dog seriously <laughs> i don't know what got me on that but anyway i i'm old so i free associate Okay, now what was the question? I'm 74. I have no idea what we're talking <laughs> Well, we're going back and forth because we're, we're vacillating between yeah. the new album, 26 East, and, and a bunch of the, you know, the oh. older stuff and your work ethic. And here's the thing that really impresses me, Dennis, about you and the band is once you guys started, you didn't stop. You made an album a year for a long, long time. And that's think about the work ethic in that. So when you talk about writing songs and just finding chords and putting notes and having lyrics to go over it, that's a lot of times to go into that studio of yours and do that. We were um, needy and desperate, like all people that get into this business. Someone loved me, right? You're looking for affirmation from strangers. How stupid is that? <laughs> this, oh, look at those guys. They should have shaved his pits. Anyway, uh, I look at that and I think, what what was going on in our minds right there? And I know what it was. It was, we'll do anything to get a record deal. That's number one. The music business is so different now than it was then. It's it, You can't even compare them. But in those days, you were a live musician first. That's what you were. You had to go and, and, and you know, make your bones playing in front of human beings. And we did that for a very long time. So we were really good at that. And but we were a a copy band, a top forty band. Uh, you know, I play the hits. Love me if I play. Want to take you higher by Sly and the Family Stone, and you love me. I'm playing it. I got no quarrel. Didn't how, matter how. So well, a lot of all those bands started out. I mean, the Beatles themselves covered. You know, Rolling Stones covers. You know, a lot of bands do that. What for? How long did you guys? grinded out in, in the trenches of playing that top 40 or whatever it was, uh, just cover songs before you started making your own original albums. JY, James Young, he joined the band in November 70. And then a year or so later, we got an offer to, to try to do some demos. A guy, na a guy named Don Chapman. <clears throat> he had a studio. We went in there. We, we tried writing songs. I, I didn't really think about writing songs. I, 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 I was just imitating Robert Plant or John Anderson. What, what do you need? I'm going to, I'll fake that voice for you. So I just start writing and the first couple of attempts. Pff, okay. JY and I wrote a, a song called best thing that would ultimately be the first single on the album we got, but the fellow who owned the record company, wooden nickel records, was local in Chicago. He, he came to watch us play. Yeah, we are. Look at how happy you are. Yeah. <laughs> is that you guys signing so, your life away? Is that picture of you guys just signing everything away it, right there, right? Yeah, that's there's John on the right, JC, then Chuck, JY is leaning over signing. Uh, that's me behind him. Our manager is the guy next to me. And then our first producer, John Ryan, who still needs a haircut, uh, he was on the end. And um, so we uh, we had to go in the studio. So I had to write songs. I still don't know anything about writing songs. So First album, we're, we're like two-thirds of the way through, and I write Lady. Okay? Yeah. Um, lady, when you're with me, I'm smiling. That one. Mm -hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa your love. That one. So anyway, I'm at the piano, and I'm writing this, and I'm thinking, 
what's that? Is that that's okay, isn't it? Is that something? No. Do, I, do I got something here, maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know. I swear to God. I mean, if you've never really written any songs and and and, and never had a hit, you just think it's something you just did. And you don't you don't recognize it other than Chien Plaid. It's it's over three minutes long, and we can have a record of it. That's basically all it is. And so uh, I played it for the um, the record company president who was executive producer. He says, well, let's save that for the second album. Um, he had four songs that he owned the publishing on that he wanted us to record on that first album there. Um, uh, and yeah, I know it's cute. So um, damn. we did it. We didn't want to, we had other songs. We had Lady. But he didn't. He said no. He it was a money thing. It was a political thing. Yeah, you've been in the business a while. Money now, first. Now this you, was this was this coming from the producer or was this coming from the the record label? Because if it was coming from the record label, all your signs should have pointed off when you were at that signing party or that signing thing. Wooden nickel, wooden nickel. You know, at some point something's going to go south with wooden nickel, right? Once again, if they said go in the corner and stand on your foot. You would have done it. And and, and and play a balalaika and do Ukrainian folk tunes. I'm over there. <laughs> you don't, you're not going, oh, you know what they're doing? No, you're just happy to be, you know, have, have a record deal. We all had jobs, okay? I was a school teacher. The bass player was a school teacher. JY drove a cab. JC was a carpenter. Oh, he's so cute. Where's that? You, you want, uh, that's my wife and I, this is after we're married. That's the original lady. Very there wavy. she is. And that, that's the original that, lady. That's, that's her. And, and my hair was really wavy and I tried to make it be like a beetle, but they had straight hair. So every time I tried to do a beetle thing, I, I looked like that. I looked like Bruno from the, uh, this guy, that, what, who was that? <laughs> that's Vito from the pizzeria. And what's that hat? I don't know where that hat came from. Anyway, I, I digress. So I'm in there. And we do the first album. And uh, I just still don't know anything about songwriting. And, but the second album, uh, there's seven songs. And uh, I wrote five of them. So I came out as a songwriter. And I, and I wrote Lady. But I, I, I'm telling all, all the kids that are watching, both of them, uh, no, you probably get a younger audience than there's I do. There's a young audience in there. And they're actually asking, what did you teach in school, Professor I Dennis? I was, the, I was District 143 in Chicago's... Um, um, uh, music teacher. So I traveled between four schools. I did, you know, you do the, the choir and the uh, the big spring musical. Yeah. Oh, what's he got in his pants? And know. I've never seen that song. I never saw that picture. Oh my God. That's that, Chuck in the back. Oh. Uh, that's Vic Chalfon, our producer, that's putting up all these lovely photos. He's been doing some great research on it. And I got to give Vic a lot of hand, uh, a big uh, shout out because he, you, you talked to him before the show. He's a Big fan as I am, but he's like obviously he might have taken that photo. You don't know. <laughs> I tell you, I never saw that one where I was caught masturbating on stage yeah, at any rate. For the second time, you know, it was yeah. like but the other time that behind night the, behind the amp. Anyway, um, so all you kids that are watching, understand this. I'm a firm believer in that we are a grand illusion. We people in the music business. We, we create illusions and images. If you could take a look at this very talented young man 
who hosts this show, Triple R as I call him, <laughs> when he was in eighth grade, you go, this guy is nothing. He'll never be anything. <laughs> as you look at me when you saw me graduate in eighth grade when my mother was still combing my hair. So, but what we do is we create a grand illusion where we learn our instruments, we work really hard, we learn how to pose, we get big amplifiers and stand in bright light, trying to make you believe we know something that you don't. Well, we don't. We don't. <laughs> but we're, we're creating this grand illusion. Now, on the grand illusion album, which you liked, 1977. I told, I told the fan base, I told our audience, this is a grand illusion. Don't, I said, don't be fooled by the radio, TV, or the magazines. They'll show you photographs of how your life should be. Those are just somebody else's fantasies. Which, so if you think your life is complete confusion because you never win the game, remember just remember, that it's a grand, it's a it's grand, a grand illusion. illusion. And, and deep inside, inside we're, we're all the same. same. Oh, man. Don't make me into something I'm not. Don't think somehow because I've got these tight pants on and I can go <laughs> that I am somehow apart from you in the grand rung of humanity. At this moment, Look at him. He couldn't reach. See, he couldn't reach the table. So, but it, 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 I'm just, I said it in 77. Love the illusion. We're creating it because the grand illusion is what capitalism is based on. You need this conversation? I'm going to give it to you. Here's how it works. We are creating this illusion. What does capitalism do? It tells you that there's something lacking in your life. And if you only do this or buy that, or by this, you'll be different. You'll be better. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, that's that's baloney. America spells competition. Join us in our blind ambition. Get yourself a brand new car, a motor, motor car. car. Yeah. But someday soon we'll stop to ponder. What on earth the spell we're under? We made the grade and still we wonder who the hell we are. This is the idea. See, capitalism is based on acquisition. So what were we doing, the big rock stars, the big shots? We were creating an illusion to get you to buy our records and our concert tickets and come mm -hmm. and see us. But that's all we do. We, You do it. Alice mm -hmm. does it. And by the way, I'm going to tell you my Alice Cooper story. Um, Dude, you're, you're, you're dropping so much wisdom on it. And you're just taking me back. Honestly, Dennis, you're taking me back to in 1977. I used to wear a big set of headphones, not unlike these, not unlike these right here, but they were probably big old black pioneer ones. And I would put on, before I went to bed at night, I'd put on Grand Illusion. I'd go to sleep to that album. And I, it was really, I love the fact that there were so many stereophonic, stereophonic effects. A lot of panning going on in that album. It's where I really started to appreciate guitar tones blending with harmonies because every single one of you guys in the band sang great but had your own unique style so you're really 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 making me happy that you're you know that you're here for one in the trenches and i get to talk to you about this album that came out in 77 it's one of those albums folks the reason why i call myself roxy 77 that year so many great albums came out and when i think about it i go i go shit how when you talk about competition in that year just just that just debut albums alone from bands you know, so many different styles, whether it was Sex Pistols, never mind the Bullocks, whether it was the first two Cheap Trick records, um, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, oh my God, Hotel Calvary, Queen, News of the World, 
Kiss, Love Gun, Styx, Grand Illusion. There's it, the list goes on and on and on. So, um, thank you for for you know right rising above and 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 going above the grade because that from then on, you guys were on. It seemed like an endless just. Uh, cavalcade of of hits and obviously from the wall behind you you can see that um and you guys were on Here's a roll the thing. once again this is this is advice from an old person if you don't want to shut it off i think there's you've got other choices billy eilish has a new album uh here, here's what i'm going to tell you we did this grand illusion album and it was the one that cemented us and 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 raised us from you know opening act uh, to uh, kiss zz top you name it, Eric Smith, to being headliners. And then we had consecutive triple platinum albums in a row, 77, 8, 9, and 81. Four in a row like that. Um, and now it looks easy when you look back. When we were doing it, once again, you have no idea what you're doing. You're making things up as you go along, doing the best you can, hoping it'll all come together and, and the sum of the parts will become greater than the individuals. This is what rock bands do. They get together when they work right. And when those individuals come together, they create something unique. It's bigger than and their own. Bigger than that themselves. Was. But when you're doing it, like I told you with Lady when I'm writing it, you don't have a conscious 2020 hindsight that can you can look back and say, oh, God, of course I was smart. I was just... You know me. I'm I'm really smart. No, you you're just in there. You're in the competitive ring. Because people say to me, uh, "What were you thinking uh, back in uh, you, you know, when you were doing this?" And this is, I was just trying to kick Queen's ass. <laughs> so there was, was a little trying, bit of competition. There was a little bit of competition trying, in there. Just trying to be there, Smith. I wasn't thinking about oh, in, in in forty years from now, Ryan will be talking about no. It's in the moment. This is how you live your lives. You live it in the moment. You do the best you can. Uh, you said, oh, Queen. Let me tell you a Queen story. I got stories for you. Yeah. Okay, Queen. Eh, I never heard him until 75. Little known fact. Sticks, his first album, 72. Gotcha. Did you, did it? Uh, you, you went, you, you muted on me. Hold on. It was, no, it was a phone call. When the right. phone call comes on the iPad, which I could just crap. Anyway, it's so right. Queen, their first album was a year after. Okay, we were before Queen. We were doing, hey, guys, singing like girls up really high and playing uh, melodies. And, and, and there's, a, there's, there's a couple uninvited Marshall amps in the room playing loud. This is what we were doing. I never heard Queen until 75 when Killer Queen finally made it to the airways uh, in America. Now, people today can't even understand it because in 30 seconds, you can Google every band that's ever made a record and it's in your house. <laughs> not, that's not what the world was like. Exactly. So I, I remember watching Saturday Night Friday night videos. It was okay. Don Kirshner's rock concert, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I like I like Killer Queen, and I liked um, "You're My Best Friend." Okay, yeah. uh, they're good. I mean, I can go. So not better than us, not in my opinion. Night at the I, Opera. I mean, yeah. Okay, then here comes Friday night videos. Bohemian Rhapsody video. It comes on. I look. I listen. I go. Uh oh. Uh oh! <laughs> <laughs> but then that's the fire under that's the fire under your ass to go back in that studio and start writing, right? You remember the bar? Yeah. Oh, it just got hot. Here's the good thing about Bohemian Rhapsody. 
for guys like me, they never ever got near that before or after. That was like from God. That right. thing came down, you went, well, there it is. And um, so all the other things that Queen did after, oh, very good, love Queen, love them. Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm afraid that's in a category all its own. And here's one more thing for you. Are you ready? I went back to read, to read uh, the, the Rolling Stone review of that album. Do you know the MOOC who reviewed that album never mentioned the song? And the song he did mention, and I know a lot of Queen songs, I never, I didn't know. I had you to, hadn't I heard had that to one. YouTube right? it. How do you, wait a minute. If you're writing for a living, there I am. I'm in the middle. You can't <laughs> see me right above Freddie's head. Um, <laughs> I think you're behind the amp uh, with your hand on yeah. your pants. <laughs> McCartney's way back. Anyway, uh, I think if you if you review music and you hear Bohemian Rhapsody, and on one listen, you don't identify it, I think barber college should be in your future not writing about music right right well damn i mean those stories with the old school and the, and the competition that kind of took me a little bit for through because I, I i'm i hear about bands you know you work hard then you play hard and you party hard and all that kind of stuff during all these years when you guys are making an album touring it studio release back out on the road is it that case of working hard and parting hard at the same time? Or did you, like, when you would make an album, it was, we're, we are focused on making the album, and then we go on tour, we're focused on partying hard and getting as many fans? Or was it a blend the whole time? What was that work ethic like, and how did you how did you balance it? And how it could was you five balance? Degrees, five degrees the day we took that picture, idiots. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. I'm different than you and a lot of guys. I um, I was married and I had a kid, uh, my daughter Carrie Ann, before I had a record deal. There we are. See, why did she marry him? No one can still figure this out. We got scientists working on that. It's a 70s but, uh, porno mustache. That's that's the reason it had to have been. Like, like you know? Yeah, like, it was 70, but in those days, <laughs> you know why I had that mustache? Because of Sergeant Pepper. Ah. Ask any guy to grow a mustache. Okay. This is the truth. You know, and then everyone grew full beards. It, was, it, it wasn't Burt Reynolds? I thought it was Burt Reynolds, but now I know. It's Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. Where was everybody? You're too young to know this. Anyway, so I forgot. You, they're throwing pictures up there. I'm going, oh, there's my wife. She <laughs> like it that, that she looks better than me. Always so, did. So you're saying that you were pretty much always on the, on the work ethic, not so much the partying hard you know, road. No, because after 76... I couldn't go on the road anymore. I, I, I freaked out. You know, I, it was too much. Uh, and that's why I'm sitting down. No. I always <laughs> said, that's, that's the Toulouse-Lautrec you were, picture. You were in a so, wheelchair. <laughs> that's Toulouse-Lautrec. He's painting these guys. So um, I, I, I didn't like being away. I had a little girl, two years old. Every time I go to the door to leave for two weeks, she'd cry. And, and so I started traveling with my wife. And my daughter, I raised my daughter on the road. So I was different. Was there partying going on? I've heard things. <laughs> I've, heard... I've heard stories. <laughs> I've heard things. You see these guys right here? Yeah. yeah. Never, never mind. It, it, all right, here's, I'll give you a story. Flip back there. Shelf on, go back. Okay. Okay. The first, the one picture you showed us with our coats on, 
Okay. It was five below. Yes, that one. It was five five above zero in Chicago. That's in the Pullman district. Now this one. Wait, wait. Tom Tommy Shaw looks a little like Farrah Fawcett right there. That could. That's my coat. Uh, okay. He's got my coat on. All right. Good looking a, man. My, my wife actually made that coat for, for me. Good anyway, man. Um, so and the other one with the boxing gloves, it was in a a, a, a hotel on the East Coast someplace. It was like 110 in that room. So we, we always, we figured this out. We says, let's take all our group photos in the worst possible physical conditions. Anyway, um, I don't know what I was talking about, but it was very interesting to me. No, we, we, we were actually, you were going to tell me about that story of a thing. I, I know Vic Chalfant's oh, way I, excited I, about, but he's putting so many photos up that it's, it's, it's distracting me too at this point now, because now I just want to hear about the stories about the photos. But I, I also do want to have a little bit of a timeline. Now his, now his hands are up in the air. But, you know, we're excited to have you on, Dennis, in the trenches, just, just so you know. So is our producer, obviously. Well, I mean, if you got a belt buckle and you and sevens, I mean, but I already got that. I'm thinking to myself, who knew uh, this kid? Where'd you grow up again? I grew up in uh, Northern California, so you got to understand. Yeah, the, the Bay Area, strong, strong stick supporters, obviously, and 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 I had to go through some. You know, there were some times where I had to like. I had to really, uh, how do you say, muscle it up when, when, you know, when the heavier bands started coming around, you know, the ACDCs, and and, 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 and they'd say, Who, well, who's who's your favorite band? I said, well, I, I like Sticks. Don't you know, do that. Well, no, you kind of got, I had to, I, I, would you say that possibly you could have been a precursor for what, what happened to Winger and Beavis and Butthead? Because there was been by no fault of you, because there's no doubt that JY and Tommy, hot damn Tommy Shaw, I still remember that on the Crystal Ball album, the way you introduced him, which was a great way to introduce the, the a new member. But uh, such such great guitar players, and everybody, again, I told you guys sang, so so you could never take that away. But then again, Winger had Reb Beach, which was a great guitar player as well. So I'm just wondering, was it hard for you guys to to get up on stage with those heavier bands and sort of, you know, especially after you've released um, some later singles that obviously have a more romantic feel to them. Now, how, how were those days in doing those shows? Did you, now, yeah. did, you, did you sometimes just like go, ah, screw you, we're a rock band and we can kick your ass at any time? Or was it like, you know what, what, what does a guy got to do? We've already put out, you know, how was it? Never had that thought for one second. Good. The only band that never feared us when we when we opened for them, because everybody feared us. We were just too effing good. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be afraid of Winger. No offense. I don't know the Winger story. No, no, no. Kip, it's, it's, Kip it's, it's, seems like a lovely guy. Different era. It's a different era, and maybe my, my, my comparison is completely off base. But so you never you never feared any band. We we are. I I think that we had we were pivotal. In their in their unfortunate drug f uh, uh, phase to absolutely make that band get off the road, we in '77 we we came out and played uh, an East Coast tour with them, and they were listen they were having problems if you know what I mean. Now that was draw the line era. You know the, the yeah. famous where they threw the M80 in, in Philadelphia and boom uh, on 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 uh, on stage and they had to run off. Were you on that tour? We were the opening act then. It was the, look it up the Spectrum show. Okay, we were on. We opened that. But we nobody even knew us on the East Coast at that time. We came out there. Don't fuck with us. You made a mistake by putting us on first. That was our attitude, and we backed it up. 
Wait, did you throw the M80? Did you throw? Did you light the M80? Who 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 did it? I didn't light it. I don't like matches, but I did throw it. Anyway, um, <laughs> stay with me on this now. So okay, um, we what was here's here's a show for you. Uh, uh, was Queen, uh, Kansas, and Sticks <laughs> on the same show in 1977? Yeah. Dream. So we went out. I'm playing with Queen. Yeah, I saw the video. I saw, oh, no, my God. So they go out and play. Boom. <clears throat> Middle sec- section of um, Bohemian Rhapsody. The lights go off. It's all on tape. It's not live. Well, why? Because you need 50 guys to it's do hard. that song. Yeah. They didn't have it. They And I thought, nah, big deal. And I watched it. You know, when you have one guitar, Brian May. He's, who doesn't love the guy? No. He's a great guy. He's a great musician, great songwriter. He wrote, we will rock you. Not Freddie, correct? Well, he I definitely, so. wrote, yeah, he wrote, he, well, everybody wrote on the, in that album, everybody sang, but yeah, yeah, I think he had a big part of that song. We are the champions. He's one guy. I don't care how good you are. He's playing all these, hot, he's stacking, right? He's like a symphony of guitars. You can't do that live unless you have another guitar player. You know that. <laughs> That's why we have three, Dennis. We have three in the band. We have Nita Strauss, Tommy Hendrickson, and myself. So we we get that luxury of having that overdub guitar in the same sense that that Sticks had that luxury of you with the synthesizer and keyboard parts doubling some of the guitar parts, right? There you go. They sounded empty. Queen was wonderful. Fred, they're all great. I love the drummer. He can see, he's seen a lot of those high parts, right? <clears throat> great band. We were better live because whatever our records were doing, you heard them. There wasn't no, we'll stop the tape and then let this. So, okay. Le quatre saisons. So anyway, um, we were great live. <laughs> and, and that's why you feared none. That's why you feared none, uh, none of the other bands because you could pull it off live. And that is such an, you know what? That's a very good segue into the current Alice Cooper band because we pride ourselves in being able to turn those songs with the same spirit of the recordings because we actually have the luxury of the extra guitars plus we have you know the luxury of having the original singer on fire as well. And do you have any sort of Alice Cooper story? And when was the first time that you did meet Alice? I watch your thing on schools up. That's as good of opening guitar riff ever Michael that has Bruce. been written. Yeah. Because it is such a signature thing. It's so, you know what it is? Here's the, it's the simplicity and the brilliance at the same time. Uh, a lot of people can say, watch this 150,000 notes in two bars. And you know what the human brain goes? I don't know what that is. <laughs> but that riff, you got me? Yeah. Oh, man, that's. That's that's like Bohemian Rhapsody. That's it. You got to go like this. Oh, that that's the thing. Not this other shit. Okay, play one hundred and fifty thousand notes. I don't know what it is other than you you spend a lot of time in your bedroom by yourself, not dating. That's all that is. So <laughs> with me now. So I'm with you. there, I, I there you go. This. Is that you spending time? Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, hold on there, Dennis. So, I, Alice Cooper story. <clears throat> yeah. We're, I want to say we're on the road. I'm pretty sure it was Iowa. Pretty sure. It was 1973, 74. Okay. Iowa Alice sounds Cooper, like a good, good enough place to start the story. Yeah, it was uh, filled 
we were we weren't there playing with Alex. We never did play with him. Um, but somebody says you're playing you're playing here tomorrow night. You want to come and watch Alice Cooper? We had nothing to do. I, okay, Alice Cooper. You know, you know, school's out. Got it. Seventeen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I listened. I thought that's cool shit. But you know, my, I'm a guy with melody and harmony. You know what I mean? That's me. So I go and I'm watching, and ask Vinny, what tour was this where they had the white strips? Yeah, welcome like, to my nightmare. The magic screen. Yeah. And he's running, but yeah. he's way back point, uh, 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 POV, and he's running toward the front, like toward the camera. And he comes through it. And Alice, that's it. That's where all the theatrics came from in sticks. <laughs> True. Wow. That's I'm cool to know him, now. Give him credit. And another and, and thing, Vinny, I'll give you all the credit. You're not getting the diamond royalties. Still, he burst through their thing. I went, what in... Uh, 75, uh, Welcome to My Nightmare Tour, I believe that was. Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it was because it was his oh. first his first solo outing, and uh, they had this thing called the magic screen. We still talk about it today. It was like a video screen, but with slits through it, so the characters could go in and out of it, you know? And, and he went through the, the shtick with the cyclops and the guillotine and the right. thing, and the, the, all this stuff is happening within the context of a rock show. And I thought to myself, why can't the rock show be entertaining? Why can't it be theatrical? Did you think Why some? Did you think like that at that moment? Did you think someday I'm going to do the same thing, but with robots? No. Okay. But right. it's just, we a, were, just a guess. <laughs> we were nice try. We were theatrical <laughs> when we first started. The first thing we did, uh, we came on stage to the William Tell Overture, right? And to Strobes. Da 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 da. -da. And and then we go right into the first song, and we had other little theatrical elements. So there was that in me, but when I saw Alice, I thought, "Yeah, you like my hit records? Come and hear them." Uh, at one point, do we get tired of looking at the guitar player showing off? Well, when that happens, if that comes up, we're going to go. There's a cyclops. Where'd he come from? You see what I'm saying? It's oh, yeah. entertainment. Yeah, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be pure. I mean, come on. Who started it? Yeah. Chuck Berry. Chuck Take a Berry. look at what he's doing. Wait a minute. How did Got the moves. How, how long are that are those guys that guy's legs that he splits his legs and plays the guitar yeah. like that? And then he's doing the, you know, across it. The it's all there. Elvis, when he's doing the th this is show business we're in. Mm -hmm. It's not or, uh, little Richard. Little Richard. <laughs> I mean, with the hair, oh, and yeah. a little mustache, and you know, foot up on the piano. That's Jerry Lee show Lewis, yeah. business. Mm -hmm. And there ain't nothing. So I, I look at that. That's my Alice Cooper story. I said, okay, let's do that kind of stuff. And let's not be ashamed of it because you want to know why? We don't care about the jerk offs who write about rock and it's got to be purity because they got the whole story wrong from the first place. Did you if ever you bring, at, did you ever bring extra synthesizers just for show that you never played? What am I, Rich? <laughs> no, but maybe you have a, a keyboard tech named Rich. <clears throat> there it is. Okay, stop. Don't go. Shelf on. Hold on. <laughs> go back. This is the Keyboard Player Magazine cover that I did. On top is a, a four voice, uh, a string ensemble over on the other side. I think that's electric piano underneath, and it's a B3. That's, that's below. No, never. 
everything that I had on uh, that I that I had there, you played. And what that here's the thing about Grand Delusion: fooling yourself. We started the Grand Delusion that year. I became aware of the Oberheim synthesizer, which was one of I think was the first polyphonic synth, which okay. means for the for the audience, you could play four notes. It's hence the four voice. Paul polyphonic. Yeah, Before it? that, monophonic means one note at a time. If you played the second note at the same time, you'd never play chords. It would cancel out the other note. So while we're making Grand Illusion, Come Sail Away, Man in the Wilderness, <clears throat> first three songs were recorded for Grand Illusion, I didn't have the four voice. It hadn't been invented. And so I got one of the, I got one of the, like 70, number 75 or something, uh, manufactured. And I got it. And I went, Oh my God! <laughs> and then your favorite song, "Fooling Yourself," and then all that kind of crap with the big portamento. That was the four voice, and I had just bought it. And I thought this thing—it's magical. So no, I never had extra keyboards for show. That's that's what guitar players do. That is, listen, that's to kind me. of our gig. That <laughs> is kind of our gig. <laughs> Where do I? But Kids, pay attention to me. He's here's here's the thing, though, Dennis. I you know I I'm gonna single you out for that part for the musical interlude because I'm th I'm going back again to my childhood with my big old headphones on listening to the musical interlude of Come Sail Away. It's not in the single mix, folks. Forever the radio edit, what you want, but the album version where where the synthesizers chase each other's, and there's like all this stuff going on stereophonic from ear to ear. And was that all your writing, or was that a part of the produce production value? Because that little piece right there is probably one of the most memorable, like bits of music that I remember from sleeping in my childhood because I go to bed with dreaming because it reminded me of little nymphs and in little wizards and goblins. It was kind of like, you know, um, whatever. It was one of those Harry Potters before Harry Potter ever even existed. Right. Yes. And let me go on record as saying I've never been into little nymphs anyway. <laughs> you write a sure? song. Okay. You write a song. <clears throat> You're in a band. They're not there, you know, I mean, to wash your laundry. They're there to bring their talent to whatever the record is. There's the song that the songwriter writes. Then there's the band that comes together and says, what are we going to do with this thing? Oh, let's do this. What is, how does this sound? That's not bad. What, my, what made you think of that? My mortgage payment. So on <laughs> you go. On you go. And you go, hey, you, that, what you did, let's do that. And the guy goes, that what you did was really good, really. But nobody tells you, nobody says that in the band. They just go ahead and do it. Right. You know, because bands are competitive units. And they work best when the competition is for a single goal. And that's all boats rise with the tide. All boats so rise when, with the tide. When Tommy Shaw joined the band, after I, he came and auditioned in 75, I said, that's the guy, guys. Don't argue with me. Yeah. He's a songwriter. We need a songwriter. And he could sing. He plays acoustic guitar. He brought in Crystal Ball, which was on the demo tape. He played me. Um, it became a very different song when we got our hands on it because it was basically an acoustic song, three-part harmony. Tommy never sang by himself. It was like an America, Crosby, Stills, and Nash song. And then we made it into a proggy song. 
whatever the fuck that means. I'm sorry. Only time I use deaf here. Um, because that's what bands do. And so yeah. the, the, going up to the A-flat chord, I don't know if it was J-Y or Tommy or what. We were in that key. And then it's me in the studio making stuff up. How about if we, what if this, what, what if the string ensemble, this thing, and then I put an MXR phase shifter on it, plug it into that thing. What does that sound like? Oh, aren't we cool? That's all it is. And wow. so I played that thing, and then I overdubbed um, ninths, and, and that's it. It's just. And hence, you ends up naming the name of the album Crystal Ball, right? Well, yeah, but you want to know why? Listen, I was, after the success of Lady and Equinox, mm-hmm. Equinox before Tommy, Equinox, here's the thing. I'm going to brag a little bit. On that album, there's eight songs. I sing every one of them as lead singer. Yep. And I wrote, I was either the sole songwriter or collaborator in 78 songs. Seven of the eight. That was my, after Lady hit, I went, oh, they like me. Let's do this. <laughs> it's true. Right. Lady was, I didn't tell you this story. Let me go back. In 73, Lady's released as a single. Nobody likes it. Nobody plays it. I didn't understand it was a business. Three stations played it. One in Chicago, really, one in Utah, and one down there by your buddy, Shelfont, in Arkansas. And that was it. So those are the three places we can tour. It's a lousy tour routing. (laughs) Chicago to Utah. That's another story. A little bit of a commute. But it was a stiff. So the next two Sticks albums, I thought, and on that Sticks 2 album with Lady, seven songs, five were mine. They hate me. <laughs> I thought, they don't like me. And so the next two Sticks albums, I, pre- I pretended to be somebody else because I was insecure. And I thought, well, they really don't like what I do. They heard Lady and they said like this. Okay, so two and a half years after Ladies released, it becomes a hit by accident because the most powerful radio station in America, which was in Chicago, where the band is from, played it for no reason other than the guy was trying to, you know, here's the thing. Here's the story. Uh, People are going, he talks too fast. I don't like him. No, I'm following. I'm following. Okay, because we couldn't get radio airplay anyplace outside of our, our hometown and very little there. We were forced to play night after night in Chicago at high school dances and college dances and whatever they were, wherever they're hiring. Unbeknownst to us, for two years, kids would go home from these dances, call up WLS radio station, and they would, re- they would uh, request lady. We didn't know this was happening. So the guy who's in charge of WLS says, how, why lady? He said, you know, I like this record. I'm going to play it. Here's the story for all you kids. Music business, life, we, nobody knows nothing. Pay attention. We're going to go out with our fourth album, Man of Miracles. <clears throat> and I'm still trying to be somebody else than what comes natural to me on this record. We go up to this radio station in Chicago to promote it. It's in the FM, FM upstairs, upstairs of WLS, most powerful radio station, top 40 in America. And we, we go up to the FM station who will see us. But to get in to see WLS, that's like an audience with the Pope. You don't walk in there. So we come down the elevator, JY and I, and a promotion guy. Let's leave our album 
at the front desk. This is what we can do. Maybe they'll let us, you know, empty the ashtrays. Who knows? So we walk in and we say, hi, we're Sticks, and we want to leave you this album. It's our brand new album. Now, the thing is, that was our fourth album on Wooden Nickel, as you've already, already pointed out. <laughs> I have pointed out Wooden Nickel. Little and we got no more. We have no more options. We're done. For me, it's back to being a school teacher. Never made a dime. In fact, I used up all the money I had saved with, as, as a teacher, and uh, I was in debt. <clears throat> so, Imagine the mustache wax cost itself. I mean... I had, yes. Oh, you have no idea. So, <clears throat> no. In those days, I didn't need that at oil in my skin. Now I got to. I have to wax my wax. So, we we're in WLS. Here's our uh, man of miracles. The girl says, "Hold on a second." Sticks calls. Uh, would you you want to come, come inside? Jim Smith would like to talk to you. Jim Smith was the PD program director. Yes. No, Char- you he's in charge. That- the program yeah. director's in charge of like. He, imagine if you made us, uh, if you made your own uh, sort of playlist, and you had someone that was in charge of that playlist, you'd be called the program director. So you are your own program director of your own playlist on Spotify these days. But yeah, this is the guy that gets paid for it. <laughs> the DJs were stooges. No offense, they were personalities that talked. They played for the most part what the program director told them to play. So we walk in, there's this guy, unassuming. He goes, uh, Man of Miracles. Eh, I'm not going to play anything from this. But tonight at 8 o'clock on the John Records Landecker show, I'm going to play Lady, and I'm going to play it once a night at 8 o'clock because I think it's a hit record. If he doesn't do that, you never own a belt buckle. <laughs> that is very you true. Don't, you that- don't know who. That's how close having a belt buckle and returning to horticulture for a living is in the universe. It just happened. Now, to try to, there are reasons, but none that you could really put your finger on as as a plan uh, on how to be successful. So, what my point is, the universe is ephemeral. We don't understand it. Less hubris, more humility. And for me, that one thing said this to me, your music's okay, Dennis. You were right when you wrote Lady and you played it in front of all these audiences Then they screamed. They apparently knew something that neither your record company or your bandmates knew. But you knew it. And that was, that one was, we like that one. Do that one again. And that's all there is to it. And then from then on, Equinox, Crystal Ball. Tommy comes in. I'm, I listen to Crystal Ball. And I think, well, no, Tommy, you have to sing that all by yourself. You can't sing it in three-part harmony. It's too personal of a lyric. And it was so good that I said, it has to be the title of the album. I said, because none of the other songs on here is good as that. You couldn't so, call the album Jennifer. Because that's the song God. that comes on right after it, right? You want to know what Jennifer is? <clears throat> yeah, tell me. I, after, after all the work I did on Equinox, I was crushed that it didn't zoom up the charts. Now, it did good. We sold 350,000 in those days. It's good. Dude, today you'd have a hit, hit record. Imagine that, you know? Call the Swedish guy. <laughs> Ask him what he's doing to the music business. We'll Not for mine. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but but go, go ahead. Go. I want to hear the story of Jennifer because we're talking, we're talking with Dennis DeYoung, folks. If you have 
just come in now to join us, uh, you're going to hit that rewind button because you've missed about a million and one great stories. But right now, we're catching up with the Crystal Ball album, uh, the, song, the story about Jennifer. What happened? Continue, please. I put everything I had into it. I kind of took control, said, this is the, follow me, boys. I didn't say it out loud like that. Okay. I, I just went this way. Let's go that way. And it was sold 350,000. Well, lady was sticks to was gold at a half a million. So I thought, how is that possible? We finally now have A&M Records, a real record company. How, why wasn't this a platinum album? I couldn't understand it. So I went into that, you're going into that funk, right? Once again, getting back to, you think everything is 2020 hindsight? Bullshit. When you're in the moment, you're paralyzed by your hubris. I'm really good. Look at me. And I suck and they're going to find me out. That's what we find with human beings in almost every situation and with people who make music more so because they're doing it like this publicly. Hey, everybody, look at me. <laughs> Up and above the crowd saying, judge me. Right. Tell me that's not what we do. Triple R. We're asking strangers to uh, uh, bear judgment. Well, good luck. So now, Equinox, oh my God, Crystal Ball. That's the best song? That's the one. What do you got for Crystal Ball, Dennis? <laughs> so Jennifer was written, I think, in 73, three years earlier. <clears throat> it's considered for Man of Miracles. But I went, Meh, I got to be able to do better than Jennifer. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not going to say, oh, Jennifer, everything I do is so good. Bullshit. So I, let's do Jennifer. Okay. The guys, okay. So they knew I was like, they knew. I was like, oh, what am I doing? And Deep it's cuts. great. I love it for what it is. But it is, you know, when, when oh. they say, what, what, what song you want played at your funeral? Not Jennifer. <laughs> Not Jennifer. Lady. Not Jennifer. <laughs> no, 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 lady. lady. So, yeah, follow me. I know it's hard, but this will be fun when we're done. No, this is good enough. I've interviewed Michael Monroe. If I can handle a Michael Monroe interview, I can hand, handle a Dennis DeYoung because I, you know, you got you creative guys. You have different outlets and you got to get those outlets out. And I'm glad that you feel comfortable enough talking to me and all these stories because. I think of this as a safe place in the trenches. You're in a safe place. You can talk for as long as you want. Cause I we're loving these stories. Definitely out here. Um, if you don't mind, I have to take a quick, quick break and then we're going to come back because I want to have some, there's been some fans that have been asking questions all week and they said, would you please ask this question? Would you please ask this question to Dennis? So I'm going to basically put their questions on the board. And we can talk about that. Is that okay? I'll do anything you want because you got a belt buckle. That's right. It's a, because of the belt buckle, we're here with Dennis T. Young. No buckle, nothing. Nothing. All right. Sounds fair. And you know what? Just real quick before the break, Vic, can you put up that picture of um, Dennis with his keyboards again? Because I have one question that's been burning in my head, and, and I've had to find out. What came first, Dennis T. Young or Doug Henning? Who influenced who? Who was it? Uh, you don't know this. <clears throat> But I had an affair when I was 14, and he's my child. <laughs> I 
think you guys are the same age, so I this weird thing, but it's biologically I don't know because um it's all an illusion. Didn't he do that? It's a grand illusion. Yes, it's Doug Doug Henning, dude. He's got your mustache, or you got his. I'm not sure. You got each other's haircuts. You're doppelganger. That's your doppelganger. I you know. I'm betting, and you could Google, you could Google this, and I'm I'm not just a little less silly. <laughs> We're gonna take a really quick break. We're gonna talk about the System 12 guitar method. If anyone's out there has been inspired to pick up, uh, start learning guitar, or start learning keyboards, or start playing drums, start playing bass, or the accordion, uh, System 12 might not be for you. But uh, if you're starting to learn guitar, System 12 is for you. Vic, let's run it, please. Hello, folks. Ryan Roxy here, and thanks for watching and supporting all things we are doing over here at the RGA, otherwise known as the Roxy Guitar Army headquarters. We'd like to invite you to start your own guitar journey with the most comprehensive and easy-to-learn course that's out there today, the System 12 Guitar Method. I've taken my 40-plus years of experience of playing guitar and combined it with some of the best tech and guitar life hacks to come up with a system that'll get you playing not just the guitar, but entire songs in a very short time. Check out the links provided and make sure to enjoy the lessons. And of course, enjoy the ride. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. We're here with Dennis D. Young. And um, man, I'm having so much fun. I had no idea how this interview was going to go. Um, we hadn't spoken before. We, You're one of the very... Um one of the very there's Doug Henning. He, he picked Proof it up during the break. Well, who came first? <laughs> I don't know. Google that. When was Henning popular? I would even I think, know him. I don't know. Henning, I think, uh, stole from you then, obviously. But you know, you know another band? Another another story? For God's sake. Listen, if you went and looked, put my picture up. Yes, up, side by side. Put up John Oates. Put up Greg Raleigh. Go Greg Raleigh. There's another one. Okay, 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 okay. We all looked like that. You want to know why? We all saw Sergeant Pepper. Pepper. It's all comes from Sergeant Pepper. All right. Of course it does. Who had a mustache before them? The Smith brothers? I don't know. <laughs> I told you. Anybody in 70s porn did. But hold on. This is the part where I, I have to talk about this story because people being ripped off or, or people maybe not being ripped off but paying homage to because we have a little section that uh, we like never let the truth get in the way of a good story and um, we're going to put it up there uh, right now this question because the question I have the guitar lick you might not know this story but I went in deep the guitar lick from Judas Priest's Beyond the Realms of Death is it taken from the stick song Sweet Madam Blue off of the Equinox record Yes or no? Fact or fiction? Have you ever listened to the movie? That Rob, that's Rob Helford's band, is it? Yeah, Judas Priest, Beyond the Realms of Death. Listen to the beginning of Beyond the Realms of Death, folks. Somebody put up the link in the chat, or somebody, and then put on Sweet Madam Blue. You don't know that story? No, but here's what I would say. That chord pattern, <clears throat> Led Zeppelin had a song that you know, use that use that uh, baby babe uh, i'm going to leave you or something like that that song right but it goes back i think you know i've done research on this cuz when i wrote that ostinato on the piano for sweet madam blue i am pretty doggone good at writing things but i have the worst ear in music if you play something i, I swear triple r i swear i won't know what it is even after all these years i don't i'm very bad at that 
what is this interval? But if you played a melody, you said, here's some chords. I could sing you, you played a chord pattern, I could sing you four melodies that would all be good. Without thinking, I could just do that. But if you said, what's this note? And what's the next one? I go, I don't know. <laughs> so I could never copy every anyone note for note because I didn't know what the hell they were doing. Now That must have helped you as a music teacher. <laughs> I'm play accordion. Guitar players are taught to listen because they have to bend notes. Absolutely. Yeah, they have right. to know interval. When you play the keyboards, they don't bend. They're there in front of you. You look at music, accordion players. They look at music, they play the notes that are written. Guys like you, <clears throat> you don't start out playing off sheet music. I know you didn't, you picked it up and went, what is that? And you're playing, mm -hmm. took some lessons. Yeah. This is the difference. So that chord pad, the first time that I think that I know of it on a record is while my guitar gently weeps. Da, 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 and it's on 25 or 64. 25 or 64 Chicago album. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's basically the same chord pattern. Okay. okay. Now, when I wrote it. It's eerie, though. I did the comparison because I, I was looking. I always look for these little nuances. I tell you, when I do, when I write up the script for these uh, episodes, oh. I, I go and find myself in some kind of weird rabbit hole some days. And uh, I was listening to it back to back, and it's the same key, it's the same almost the same type of melody in the beginning so folks if who was first who was first you guys were first for sure well then copy us halford pony <laughs> up making money pony off of it we've had we've had rob on the uh we've had rob on the uh podcast and we just had kk downing last week that's why i wanted to tell that story and uh I, for, but that's okay if, if i my my record collection what's left of it is right back there judas priest very fine band no Judas Priest albums in there. I'll tell you what I was thinking. That's how bad I am. You know what's a really good song? Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I just sticks. We need a Stairway to Heaven kind of song that we could do. I thought all these years I was writing kind of like Stairway to Heaven. Then I went back and I, and I looked at the chords and said, no, those aren't the chords, you dumbass. I would know it. But that was I the like song it. that inspired you. So a song will always inspire you to write something else, you know? So wow. then I that wrote that song, and but had nothing to do with Judas Priest. God bless them. I hope they, they, they can always afford to get, you know, silver studs on their leather. Uh, whatever they need, you know. <laughs> I think, they, I think they're all doing just Love fine. Them. Everybody's um, doing just great. And you know what? Beyond the Realms of Death, great song. And, of course, Sweet Madam Blue, great song in their own I don't song. think they copied us. Well, I mean, but you we, can we, listen we to it and be the judge we, for yourself. I, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to put up the links in the chat so they can all go check it out for themselves after this podcast is over. Because now it's time for the people to speak. This is where you guys have asked the questions all week, and we get to put them up right now. Vic, run it, please. These are questions from the chat room that we've been compiling since the whole episode has started. And again, if you're listening to us on an audio broadcast, what are you doing? Get in on the live chat on the Ryan Roxy official channel and make sure you hit that subscribe button when you are down here. If you're watching right now for the first time, uh, hit the subscribe button. And I will again just say, here you go. There's our animation from Vic. Xiao Fan. I like the fact that, that fact, uh, Dennis, that you just call him uh, 
Chalfont. I think that's what I'm going to say. I've, I've been calling him Vic for too long. Now it's just Chalfont. Yo, Chalfont. <clears throat> Kevin, I, I'll give him a, a shout out. Kevin Chalfont sings background uh, vocals on my on my uh, my my solo albums, and he's a great singer. He was he does he's like one of those Steve Perry guys. Nice. And the original lady, your wife, has been singing backgrounds with you for years and years and years, all throughout your solo work, right? Yes, because she insists upon when we're on stage, she stands behind me about twelve feet to keeping. She keeps a, a, a crossbow trained on the on my ass through the whole set. <laughs> I love it. So she's, um, she's been she's been with you since the beginning. We we talked about that earlier, and we we talked about how your lifestyle has been. A little bit different all throughout the years because you're you're more of a family guy. You have been a family guy, and that has affected the the road a little bit. Yeah, um, this is not like a red badge of courage. It's who I am. I mean, it's not like I go. What well, here's what I'll be. It's just who I am, and um, I am a family man. There she is, yep. and um, you know, it's not conducive with the cool rock and roll image of which you've uh, you've, uh, you've you've talked about the partying and the sex drugs and rock and roll all that stuff um that that wasn't really who i was and not because i'm a prude i'm not a prude um when you have a daughter and you care about the people you have and i had a son um you know you, there's a responsibility if you're if you've got to have a brain to try to Set an example for these children because it's no longer just about you and and this is what r rock stardom requires you know it's me not you and i i always was grounded in the fact that i i had responsibility if you don't have responsibility do whatever you like but if you do have responsibility you owe it to the human beings some of which you brought into this world to be a somewhat responsible person for not only their well-being. Oh, look at this! Why did she marry him? Okay, because mm -hmm. he um, shaved. <laughs> I did shave. Uh, she hated. She married me when I was a greaser, uh, not greaser, but that's how she met me. When I was seventeen, she was fifteen. So I never had a beard. She, I never had a mustache, and she hated it. All, all the, and and I then I shaved it off. I got more sex. Anyway, <laughs> I should have done that. Damn McCartney and that mustache. So, uh, it was. Okay. Well, What's good for you. You know what? The thing is, you, you obviously had this lifestyle for a long time. It's th that sort of family values lifestyle that's definitely on the road with us now because you and Alice have that in common that uh, both your wives are on the road with you. Um, Alice's wife, Cheryl, she's in the show. She's, uh, she's either the ballet dancer or the, uh, the, the, bloody bride or sometimes she's cold ethel um it just depends on on what character she takes on but she's on the road with alice she's on the tour bus with us as well so it is a very you know we say you know if you want that crazy crazy lifestyle perception is better than reality um and it is a grand illusion i tell people it's a grand illusion all the time i don't here's the I thing don't. kids when people say that bands break up like sticks over musical differences 
bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that is that is. Well, I think I think people are smart enough to realize at this point, musical. What, what is musical differences? Musical differences is just writing a song with someone. You're going to have musical differences on every single thing you write with someone. Usually, say it again. You get two musicians in the room. There'll be three opinions. <laughs> that they're always there. Everybody thinks that. Oh, what if we do this? Okay. Did you ever try to get in the kitchen with your mother and grandmother and make a stew? I dare you. This is what rock bands are. True. So when they say, oh, creative differences. Bafangu. <laughs> Here's what breaks up two things, in my opinion. Are you ready? Number one. Yep. Drugs and alcohol. Yeah. That's them. You want to know why? Because when people are doing drugs and alcohol, they're not in their right mind. And they will say things and make decisions that are so poor that you couldn't quantify it in any way. You know this. Maybe some of you are out there right now, you're high. Not the time to make a judgment on mortgage payments. Bedtime. <laughs> this is it. Drugs and alcohol. Somebody's doing something, acting crazy. And number two, most important reason, Lyra. The, drummer screwed, the drummer screwed your wife. <laughs> this are two reasons. Is that really? Wow. Poor Glenn Sobel. Poor Glenn Sobel. But wait, that means somebody's wife is... Wait a second. Glenn Sobel. Uh, Glenn Sobel's our drummer, by the way. Um, so let's move on. I've said, let the people speak. And then I've been speaking this whole time. Our first question does come from Chalfont because uh, he has helped out so much with the script all throughout the week. Um, he has a question. What is the one song that you wrote that you thought should have become a big hit, but for some reason it didn't. Yeah, all of them. No. Um, <laughs> You've written more songs for Sticks and with your soul career, but more songs for Sticks than anybody else in the band. So, yeah, all of them? You already have seven of the eight top tens. There there was a song. Babe was a hit. It was the number one record. It was never supposed to be a Sticks song. I wrote, I did a demo with the Panazos. It was a birthday present for my wife. I went in there with the it's a great story. I won't bore you. No, I story. want to hear the story of Babe because this is really, really important because that song is my whole Ringer reference that I was talking about earlier and you didn't know who Ringer was and, you know, and, and, and Kip and, and, and Rob and everybody, Reb and everybody else, is, they're great guys. But the stigma of a, of a band for Ringer was on a t-shirt in Beavis and Butthead and they were stigmatized by it. In some ways... Sticks was stigmatized by that song. No? Absolutely not. Biggest lie ever told in the music business. Okay. Here's what Let me hear it. <clears throat> we just done Pieces of Eight, got off the road, and it was my wife's birthday. And I said, I'll write her a song for her birthday. She stuck by me through thick and thin. And um, that was it. So I called up John and Chuck, bass and drums. He went in. Uh, where we did our demos at Pumpkin Studios. And I was going to, I wrote it on grand piano. I was going to play it and sing it. The grand piano was out of tune. That said, what's, what, what's wrong with you? I'm telling you, come here, demo, the grand piano's out of tune. Ooh. Okay. He said, uh, in the corner, the Fender sits a Fender Rhodes piano. Tell Bobby White. This is his piano. Who's Bobby White say? I don't know. So they rolled it out. It's a demo. It doesn't matter. Triple R. Oh, it's my wife and the relatives. 88 key or 73 key? What, what was it? Was it, was it a... 
270. It was hot. I had to have someone come in. So <laughs> that doesn't exist. That's not real. <laughs> listen, nothing I say in this show has been real. I made it. I made all this crap up just for your entertainment. So anyway, I go in there. And if you ever played a Rhodes, they're different. It's I, I played Wurlitzer. I had one. But those are different animals, man. The Rhodes, you hit it too hard. The tines go, ding. You got to know how to play it. Distinctive, I don't though. Distinctive sound. That's why. I, that's how I knew it was a Fender Rhodes, because the minute I heard that song, I can hear it in my head now, that song, and it's like it screams Fender Rhodes. It just does. What does it matter? It's, a, it's something from my wife. Nobody else is going to hear it. Doesn't matter. It could be on harmonica. That's my wife. I'm just trying to do this to get out of buying her jewelry. You played it for so, the fucking record company, didn't you? You played it. Somebody, somebody from the fucking record company heard it. I guess it had roll, to have happened. No, roll tape. Roll tape. All that stuff at the beginning. All that stuff that's going like this in stereo. I was just nutsing around on the piano and he recorded it. That's all. It, I, I th Well, I'll do this. Oh, look at how these these notes sustain, because it's roads, right? And so I do the thing, do the demo. Uh, JY and Tommy are on vacation; they're out in the Bahamas someplace, <clears throat> getting skin cancer. So nobody there to sing the, the hook. I sing all three parts. Triple R. What does it matter? It doesn't matter. It's for my wife. You win a uh, true because it's for your wife. But you you win a little Paul McCartney in the studio. You can you can admit to that. At the end, ooh, 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 ooh babe, that's a me doing bit, A little bit, a little bit, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah, and he sued me. So um, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying you went you you the song, but just the fact that you played all the yeah. instruments, you started going a little Paul McCartney on. Yeah, I, yeah. let me go. Let me tell you. Right, let me finish the story because right. I'm an idiot. No, I'm here. I, I take it home. It's not real to real. Remember, every real to real. It's, it's on, it, it, is it on your uh, eight, like a two track sort of real to real thing or is it, yeah? I had it in my house. I played it. I went, that, that sounds, it sounded marvelous, sonically. Right. And I thought, oh, that's not bad. Now, I, did, I knew what a hit was because I had some by then. I said, that's not bad. But still, my best friend, buddy comes in, Tom Short. His favorite band in the world, Led Zeppelin. He'd seen, he saw him live 23 times all over the world but he liked he he could like everything you understand what i'm saying he's not he one of these people this song he heard it i got him if i can't if I, if I can't rock something will happen to my balls they'll shrivel up <laughs> jesus christ so anyway he his second favorite band was sticks figure it out there's entire psychological studies to try to understand that phenomenon it's true i met him after he heard our song on the radio. I, in other words, he, he wasn't my friend. He became my friend. So he said, the baby said, that's the number one record. Wow. I went, that's, that's not for sticks. He said, that's the number one record. That'll be a, that's a hit. I said, oh. So record company hears it. They went, yeah. They just, yeah. Mm. So um, I, I play it for the guys. They go, okay, now. You know what demo poisoning is, don't you? Demoitis. Demoitis. We call it demo. Explain to the audience what it is. I want to hear you talk. What is it? when you record something for your wife, for example, and you just fall in love 
with that recording. So when it comes time to actually re-record the song for real, you can't live up to that sort of recording and you sort of get hooked into this feeling that like that's, it has to be that, it has to be that demo, right? Is that your interpretation? You have just earned your belt buckle. (laughs) I want my belt buckle back. I don't know where it went. Damn it. So, um, I, everyone loved the demo. I, my, I said, this could be a stick song. There were no guitars on it. Why? Because they weren't there. It was never fucking intentional. So I'm listening and now I'm paralyzed with fear to change anything. You know the feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we don't. Tommy Shaw, you know, this, that, play a solo. Plays this brilliant, because that's him. He melodically, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah. He'll write, he'll play you something, and you go, that's nice. So he plays it, and we leave it alone. We don't even bring in JY and Tommy to sing the harmonies. Why? Because it sounds like they're already on there. You didn't know that they weren't singing with me. No. They, it's just me. What am I doing? I'm going back to my cover band days, and I'm imitating them. Uh, there it is. And there's this. So it has the misfortune for all the heavy metal, testosterone shy human beings in this world who only ever want to rock. I get it. This is what you like. Who am I, some old fart, to tell you what you like? But I'm sorry, music's too big. You see it? No, music. You can't see my arms, but they're way out here. And I just point to Elvis sings Hound Dog, then sings Love Me Tender. And you know what I thought? I love them both. So anyone who can't love them both, I understand. I just think you're missing out on so much more. But who am I to tell you what to like? You You want pineapple on pizza? I don't care. I'm not having it. Okay. So, but for me, music is anything that's great. You just had so, Renegade. You just had, you just put out pieces of A with Renegade, and that was about as heavy as it gets. Check this out. When Renegade, when Tommy brought Renegade in, it was an acoustic guitar song in three part harmony, like Helplessly Hoping. That's what it was. Wow. Matt, you know the beginning? Oh, mama, I'm in fear All for my life from the long arm of the law. Yeah, of course. And then all three guys sing the harmony. Oh, yeah. That's just oh mama, I can hear I, you. Man. Yeah. I'm so scared and I'm alone. That, that's, yeah. that's, just, that's just me and Tommy. Nobody else. Imagine that song, like that part. With the acoustic guitar behind, da 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 da. mama, I'm in fear for my life from the. This is the demo Tommy brought into me. And I went, That's, I love Crosby, Slows, and Nash. But I thought, it's beautiful, but you know what? <clears throat> if you're a renegade, you don't sing that. <laughs> you're rock it out at one point. No, you're not a renegade there. So we're standing on the stage in rehearsal for the album. And I said to Tommy, I said, you know, I think there's a rock song hiding in there. 
what would it sound? I always said this to Tommy Shaw. I says, what would this sound like if you, if it were a rock song? He goes over, I see it in my mind because it's that, it's such an epiphany. He goes over, picks up that Les Paul. He goes, he starts playing that. And I went, that don't suck. And then it's John and John, John, he was big on the up. You know how he plays on the up? Yeah, okay. That was the thing. And Renegade the Rock song was born. And I said to Tommy, we're not going to sing, you know, when he goes, the jig is up, the news is out. That was all in three-part harmony when he brought it in. As if Crosby, Stills, and Ash were doing it, right? Right. I said, no, you're, you're a renegade. For you're doing it like that. guy in crystal ball. Yeah. You know, you're on your motorcycle. So who's, 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 who does the yeah on the front before it goes heavy? Yeah! You, Tom? Yeah! J.Y.? Who is it? Me. There you go. All right. The, wait a minute. The pussy balladeer. <laughs> Who would go like on people, right, babe? You don't know nothing about sticks. Not you. I'm talking to your audience. I got you. These records, these records that you like or hate, whatever you like, nobody cares if you hate them. Get off. But if you like them, they were made by five mooks in a room living and breathing off the strengths and weaknesses of each other. So when I say I turned Renegade into a into a rock song, I did, but I, but it was just sitting there waiting to be a rock song. Yeah. And Tommy and brought did, it in. Yeah, here's how it goes. That's, if, and if that's the band. Rock. That's the band. Damn, I'm telling you, man. I'm having. You can see from the smile on my face, folks. They they don't see me smiling this much. I mean, I'm a, I'm a smiler, but I'm not smiling. You, you know that I've listened to these albums because I can. I can give you these stories. I know, you know, come on. We talked about Jennifer for Christ's sake, but, uh, you know, we're going, wow. Wow. Huh? How about yes, that, so, baby? Yeah. Uh, the, I'm the guy yelling. I yelled. Hey. And, and you know, I, t- I said last night, I was talking to my son. He's my, my old D. Is he? Uh, and he played, he played in this volume two, 26 He played Isle of Misanthrope, the last song on the album. Check it out. There's a video on YouTube. It's free. Uh, <laughs> so I looked at him and I said to myself, you know, Matt, I'll be damned if I know why I did that. Why did I scream there? And I have no idea why I was the one that did it. I don't know if it was like, I just did it and we Perfect. kept it. Well, dude, it, it's, I, it's, it, it makes the song. I mean, come on. It really does. Well, it helps. Tommy never, Tommy never gave me a dime. Anyway, Tommy goes <laughs> like this. Tommy would do this. He'd go, ah! and he's got that high. Higher voice. Shriek. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the water in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm 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 convinced of it because I I've played with another great guitar play a couple great guitar players from Birmingham uh, Damon Johnson and Eric Dover and, and they have this thing something about Birmingham Alabama that's what it is that's that's what I'm okay. going to chalk it up to at least you know anyway I did that scream and, and Renegade was born now here here's a quick thing about demo poisoning ready this is 20 seconds demoitis go ahead when we did the demo of Renegade at that same studio I did Baybat. Right. This is not the studio where we met our records. This is the cheap studio. The demo we studio. Did we did the thing of Renegade. We go, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing, rock song we've ever done. We went back to Paragon and re-recorded it. And guess what we thought? 
We ruined it. We ruined it. So, which tracks did you end up using? When we released the when it was come time to release the first single off of uh, Pieces of Eight, Renegade had been went from here and slid down three or four notches, only because of demoitis or demo poisoning, because musicians they get trapped in their own bubble yeah and so blue collar was the first single eh, nice and then they you have just, a good you have a really good uh hammond uh solo in the front down 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 nice thank you um, thank you john lord so <laughs> true uh, but i will say i love john lord of course begin truthfully I think that thing is as good as anything he did with Chord. <laughs> That's what I think. And all, all the Deep Purple fans are going, this guy's saying, babe, he can't do anything good. So, <clears throat> yeah. That ain't, that's, that's as mad as the guy who screams yeah in the Dude, front of Renegade. That's power chords right there. And I, I tell me that's root five, root five, and just going, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. With the root, dun, 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 all open. Uh, anyway, yeah, because that's what makes things heavy. You can't play the thirds in there. Uh, <laughs> well, so, so anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's my story of Renegade. So we didn't really Renegade was it was flipped. It was on the flip side of Sing for the Day, which was the second single. And the DJs would come and see us play it live and go, "Ooh, that's better than that." They flipped it. And, and that's how Renegade. That's how Renegade became the single. I love it. Even though it had nothing to do with the question that Vic Chalfon had originally asked way back in the front. Was, what did he ask? He asked, was there a song that you wrote that you thought should have become a hit, but didn't yeah, for some reason? You said all it of them. It was a hit. Babe was, I, I told you the Babe story. Babe was released. Yeah. And then there was another song on Cornerstone called First Time. <clears throat> and uh, the record company called up. We weren't, my son had just been born, so we weren't playing and said they wanted to release first time as the second single, <clears throat> Ballad the Ballad. And um, they said they had six Parallel One radio stations. Now, kids, you don't understand this. P1. Parallel One yeah, P1. would be the biggest radio station in your town. Yeah. Now, those Parallel Ones play hits after they've been a hit everywhere else in the country. They don't play them until they're already proven. New York, every major city had one. Chicago, that's what broke Lady the first time. So they said they had six pillar ones. They'd added the record first and time. were playing it without it being released. You know what that means? That never happens. And so they said, it's got to be that. And I went, okay, I, I'm, I, got a new, I have a new son, just been born. I said, okay. And then a couple of weeks later, I get a call from the manager who says, Tommy Shaw is going to quit if first time is released. Now, did anybody else in the band say that? No, just Tommy. Yeah. So there was a big brouhaha. Everything blew up. There's a million stories to this. I'm not going to tell them. I ended up being uh, kicked out of my own band. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Okay. Was it, so that, so that, that song, First Time, is what sort of caused the initial sort of maybe tiny pebble that turned into this big snowball 
effect. Yes, but it wasn't the song because we re when we did Babe and we did first time recorded them, nobody said a word. Nobody said, oh, this is that or that is this, except our manager, <clears throat> who was afraid of all ballads. Yeah. Would ruin the integrity, if there is such a thing, in a very close-minded way. Hmm. Or 10 years after, we can't do anything but the boogie. He said, no, music is big. Right. So, so here we go. First time, okay. So <clears throat> it had nothing to do with musical style. I think it was the little green monster. What's that little green monster? Not the one in Fenway Park. <laughs> That's a big green monster. It was Envy. Envy. Tommy had three releases from Pieces of Eight. I didn't, I, I didn't write a song good enough that deserved to be a single. He wrote three songs, all three of them, and none of them reached the top ten. Uh -huh. And I had written Come Say It Away, the single before uh, Pieces of Eight. That reached the top ten. And then I come back with my next release, <clears throat> and it goes to number one and wins the People's Choice Award. Right. So Damn, it yeah. wasn't about, oh, I'm afraid ballads will kill us. We just proved already that uh, Cornerstone had sold as many albums as Pieces of Eight, which are very different kinds of albums. No doubt. And so that's what happened. Oh. So, but uh, Cooler Heads prevailed. I was back in the band in a month. Okay. And then the next album was Pieces of, uh, was a Paradise Theater. And the first release of Paradise Theater was... The best of times. The best which of was, times. It went all the way to number three. And yeah, I mean, it was a ballad. Yeah. Here's the thing. All you guys are just like rock. I've said it before. You know this. Back in those days, top Light, 40. Lighters want, up. You, you want to reach as many people as possible if you're in a band. Yeah. You don't want to confine your audience. If you have the ability to write a bunch of different kinds of songs, you do it. Yeah. Okay? So... We could do it. You were writing power and, ballads before the actual 80s bands made power ba power ballads a thing, in a way. In 1972, I wrote Lady. The hmm. first minute and six seconds of anything anybody ever heard about Sticks. It's a pop ballad. Hmm. Think about it before the guitars come in. There's a piano and a guy singing a little synthesizer. <laughs> That's all it is. And all of a sudden, you're my ba -da -dum, bam, bam, bam. Oh, there was a guitar player hidden in the closet. Uh, and it, you know why we did that? Because I had pop melodic sensibilities. And JY wanted to go, da -da -dum, da. look at me, I got Marshalls and Fender Strats. And I like Jimi Hendrix. Those two styles came together. That's a Chicago. Yeah. You know what? I got to tell you, man, Chicago musicians and Chicago bands have a great blend of heaviness and pop sensibility. I think you just put it perfect in perspective. If you think of the bands that come out of the Chicago area, whether it's even bands like, if you want to go way off the show, like off-Broadway, in a sense, that band. Or you want to talk about, of course, Cheap Trick, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, for instance. I mean, Soft, loud, soft, loud. Yes, soft, loud, soft, loud, but pop, like with heaviness in it. I think Chicago really has... Um, a knack for for turning out amazing music like that, and that's maybe why I get along because those are my favorite. Those are my favorite artists. I didn't realize how much until we're kind of having this conversation. You know that and some Boston bands in a ways. The Cars, for instance. If you go back to '72, and there's this 
tinkle ballad <clears throat> turns into a rock thing. The reason why most record companies would not play that song in 1972, as they told our promotion team, was it doesn't fit a category. Is it the Hollies or Led Zeppelin? Make up your mind. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I got you. So um, ballads are ways that REO Speedwagon, Foreigner, Boston, um, name them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Journey. Journey. Geez. That's how they got on the radio other than AOR FM radio. If you had, because you couldn't take, for instance, a hard rocking song from the beginning and get it on the radio, it was really a tough slog because all the PDs at the radio stations would say, that'll kill our female demo. So what you're thinking is, what does that mean? Okay, but you deal with it as a band. And so if you've got a guy who can write a great ballad, okay, uh, Mick Jones, <clears throat> okay, if you got guys who can write them and, and, and they're great songs, once again, it's songs, kids. If you, if you like ACDC, right? I love ACDC. This is what they do. Listen to them all day long if it makes you happy. It doesn't make me happy. I need, you know what I mean? You need, I, I love, you need a good ballad every once in a while, a good song. I, I don't care. It has to be a ballad. It could be a church. Not, not that ACDC doesn't have great, great, great songs, and they're straight ahead and they're rock, but yeah, I have not heard an ACDC ballad yet. Here's, that, here's, to their credit. To their credit. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the album I've never seen. ACDC does romantic ballads. I don't think so. <laughs> not selling. I don't know. But yeah. look I don't at, see a Dennis DeYoung ACDC tour happening anytime real soon. You know, the first Beatle album. Right? It had Till There Was You. From the Music Man. Love it. Damn. I, we haven't even been able to talk about the musicals yet. We've, I've been so like entrenched and into this about, you know, with with these stories that you're coming up with. We're, Dennis, we're going to definitely have to have you come on for a part two, if you don't mind, at some point, where we can just sort of take on the other stuff. Because I've been really enjoyed talking to you. I have a couple more questions from fans, and I want sure, to get too. to them before uh, before our fans have to go to bed in Australia, because it's probably tomorrow for them watching right now. But uh, Hey, are you people down there with your didgeridoos? Stay awake. <laughs> this is not worth listening to. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, I think at Brandon Cook underscore T.O. has a question called, how do you feel about Spotify and other streaming sites regarding their royalty payouts? Fair or unfair? And I think you might have just covered that a little bit earlier, right? I did cover it. They're robber barons. They made a deal, a backdoor deal, with a, with the three major. Uh, so here's the deal. Here's how it works. You want to know? This is the Cliff's notes. Yep. The company's own masters to all the records you love. This is in your record deal. They went in. Spotify shows up and they say, well, we're going to stream stuff. And, and the people at record, go, record companies go, oh, it's there. So um, <clears throat> they invent this thing. And the record companies go, wait a minute. Nobody has to work in a warehouse. I don't have to buy plastic for CDs. I don't have to do this. All the costs I'll save by never manufacturing a real thing again. I give these guys the thing. It's there. They send I it still get my cut. Okay. But they, here's what they did. That would still involve paying the musicians in a fair manner. But they went in the back door and <clears throat> made a deal where they took stock in the company. Mm. If they took a portion, a big portion of 
uh, the the licensing, then that that money is not it's not due to the musicians who created the music. Understand? It's different. So it becomes more promotion. So all it is is they take the money off the top, the musicians at the bottom of the totem pole again. Spotify, listen, Spotify, it, it, they're in debt, aren't they? They they don't actually show an actual profit as far as they know. Kind of like Amazon they're for many, many taking, years. All they're doing <clears throat> is abusing monetarily copyrights that were paid for with this, the blood and sweat and tears of the musicians and the original record companies who gave those bands money to make those records. That's what, that's what it is. But what can I say? I, and no one's, nobody out there is going to go like this. <clears throat> you know what a schmuck is? Okay. Somebody who pays for something that they can get for free. And that's where you and I come in. If they can listen to our music for free, People are going to do it. It's human nature. Music's become promotion, and a T-shirt actually is the only thing you can sell these days, unless you have a tangible piece like vinyl. And is is Twenty Six East, Volume One and Volume Two? Do you have that available on vinyl? It is on vinyl, but the guy already told me they only make so many. And you look, know, they only can make so many. Are, you are backing the return of vinyl. I think you should buy stock in horseshoes as well. <laughs> Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> yeah, horseshoes and hand grenades, maybe. Next question. You got it. Thank you, Brandon. I hope that answered to you. So, obviously, um, fan, not a fan? I'd say not a fan, Brandon, uh, of Spotify. But at Tabitha's dad, underscore Ray Mob, um, what was the writing process and recording process like for Paradise Theater? Because we've talked about pretty much up until... Uh, after that was right after Pieces of Eight, and then uh, the the band was, uh, well, there was this again urban legend. I don't know if it's fact or fiction, but uh, is it fact or fiction that Tipper Gore thought that there were satanic messages in Sticks songs on that album? Well, Tipper was over at my house one day for <laughs> tea and crumpets. No, that's that's further down the line. So if you're going to have me back, let's not cover everything. Let's just go to Paradise Theater and say. Joyful. Joyful. Okay. It was. It was. It was joyful. I played a lot of golf. Um, Vinny will be happy to hear this. I played a lot of golf during the process. Vinny will be happy. Alice will be happy. Ryan Roxy is fucking happy because I play golf every single day. I played four times last week. So we're playing golf next time we get, we get together, brother. Uh, look at um, it's it's a it's a game where it's okay. always challenging. It's the, the setting is beautiful. And what sport can you have lunch? I mean, that's it. You could have lunch halfway through. So anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a joyful experience. It, um, it was our, our most attended concert tour ever. People still talk about it. It was good enough to revive in 96 when we got back together again. Yeah, no, uh, Paradise Theater was magic. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, I, Love the album again. It was one of those albums that was like right in my eight track. I think I had it on eight track at that point because that was the amazing fidelity that they had. One like this. Tonight's the night we'll make click. 
<laughs> no, it would be a fade. It would be tonight, part one, then reprise. Come back up, and you'd be like, "Why would you do that to a song? Fade it in and fade it out halfway through a track. Yeah. Whatever." All right, last question from Let the People Speak because um, it comes from at Pax Axe Pax Official. Yo, Axe Pax Official. What is your favorite stick song you didn't write? He wrote them all, folks. No, but he no, there, no, no. No, there was a there was a lot. There was a, there was lots, but you are the predominantly dominant sticks. You wrote more sticks songs than anybody than anybody in sticks, right? That's true. Well, until the moment I was not. Oh, I had written more songs than everybody else combined. Aye. Yeah, that's a lot. So, my I would say it's really a toss up between Triple R. Fooling yourself, okay, and and uh, I think Crystal Wall. I think those are those are Tommy's two best songs. You liked Renegade as uh, well. Renegade's great. I mean, yeah. because of course I love it. Yeah, but it's not. It's like that's like I said, Crystal Wall. Fooling yourself. The, yeah, the insight into the struggle of everyone and about where should I be going? What should I be doing? I wish I had a crystal ball. So I could know which way to go, and fooling yourself. Tommy said he wrote it about me, and uh, as he saw me struggling at times, you see the world through your cynical eyes. Your troubled man, I can see. Wow. Yeah, he said he <laughs> lyrics. Are, are you a cynical guy? I don't like like just in this conversation that we've had because we've just the folks. You'd think that uh, you know. Dennis DeYoung and I go way back. We go way back about an hour and a half because I've always wanted to talk to you, but this is you're one of those guys that we haven't crossed paths on the road um, for forever since I've been at least with playing with Alice and my own stuff. But uh, are you a cynical guy? I'm an, uh, a cynical optimist. Okay. Here's what Tommy didn't understand about me. You see, he was in a, he was playing in a bowling alley in Montgomery, Alabama in an acoustic duo with his buddy. When he got a call, because John Serleski, the original player in Sticks, after Equinox quit, didn't want to be on the road anymore. So out of nowhere <clears throat> we were on a tour with Aerosmith. We had dates that had to be fulfilled. Our road manager, Jim Bose, knew Tommy. He said, this guy's good. Do you want to audition him? He came up to my house in, in in Park Forest, Illinois, and he played some reel-to-reel tapes of songs he had written. We went to the piano. Somebody had to cover the high that real stupid note. Uh, that note, that lady note, I think, is what's part of what got him his gig, right? It is what got him his gig because it was our only hit. We had to duplicate it. He came in, nailed it. That's step one. Step two, played me the songs. I go like this, write that song? Yeah. Is that you singing? Yeah. Who's playing acoustic? Me. I went, hmm. His, his electric guitar was in a case. I had a little amp set up. Who's playing that? Me. I just looked at the guys. I said, that's him. Nice. That's him. Because he'll cover Lady. He's a songwriter. And the singer. I never knew what Tommy Shaw was like on stage. That was to. that was an added attraction. Right. He never played guitar. One more time, Triple R. 
He never played guitar in his audition. Never took it I, out. Never even took it out of the case. I said, "Is that you?" Yeah. I went, "Well, you're the guy." So he went from a bowling alley in Montgomery, Alabama, to some of the biggest stages in the world. Damn. That's a so that's story. me as Magnum PI. No, it's just you as Doug Henning. Come on, man. Go back to that Doug Henning fucking photo. I'm telling you. No. <laughs> Come on. It's a little close. Come on. <laughs> You're a much better looking fellow, though. Come on. Um, all right. Thank you very much. I have two more things to cover, and then we're going to send people on their way with how to get in touch with you and pick up, obviously, 26 East. Volumes 1 and Volumes 2. That are, Volume 2 just came out, and uh, Volume 1 is out. But uh, let's go for Fan of the Week, because every single week, Dennis, would you please join me in congratulating Kina Tabor for being this week's Fan of the Week. What do you say, Vic? There she is. And there she is. Kina and oh Tabor. She we, is our fan like of the week. She's part of the RGA. She's part of the Roxy Guitar Army. That's me signing the back of her shirt. It hopefully didn't become another tattoo of hers, but she does have a few. Um, but uh, yeah, there you go. Kina plays guitar, writes songs, learns songs. So there you go. Wait a minute. You, you were looking for song titles? Yep. What did you just say? Uh, fan of the week. Tina, Tina plays guitar in an old blues band down on uh, down on Old Canal Street. She rocks every night with. See what I'm saying? There yeah, it is. There it is. It's done. Tina, you just had Dennis DeYoung write your next hit. Is it a ballad or is it a rocker? I never thought a chick could play like that. There's another line for you. Take it. <laughs> so there she is. Time when girls go. Yeah, girls go. They, they play. They went. You suck. Okay, now they got four-year-old Japanese girls who are playing all of Eddie Van Halen's solo in their bedroom. I don't know how this is possible. No, it happens. YouTube. The old YouTube, maybe, you know. Um, so fan of the week, that's Kina. Congratulations. Um, next week on the In the Trenches, we are changing our dates. You are, you know what? This is history, Dennis. Next time you come on our program, you're going to be on on a Friday, if that's okay. But this is our last Tuesday that we have because Chalfont, who I usually call Vic, but now because Dennis has known him, Chalfont, he shall always be Chalfont, has to change his schedule around. We will now be live streaming on Friday. So our next guest uh, will be uh, Billy Rowe, and that'll be next week, next Friday. And I believe that is, uh, I want to say Friday... April 26th? Okay? I don't know. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but there you go. I don't know. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's been it's been more than a pleasure uh, having you on, Dennis. I want people to uh, get in touch with you and find out more about the new album, uh, 26 East. Please let them know. Do you have some, uh, do you have any of the uh, sites, Vic, that you want to put up? For those of you that are listening to on the audio, just my face. Don't go there. Don't go there. My, put my Facebook page. I read everything and I write everything. If you read that stuff, there's no stooges, no bots doing that for me. It's me talking, and you can go there. But all you got to do is go to YouTube or wherever you go. Amazon, Apple. This stuff is available. It's not hard to find. Um, 
I say wherever you know, wherever fine music is stolen, that's where my stuff will be. Uh, <laughs> fine music is oh, stolen. You yeah. can buy both episodes. Yeah, both and you know, go to Facebook and uh, you can go on YouTube. Look at next time we talk about Tom Morello. Dude, that was going to be the whole show. Was we were supposed to talk about Tom Morello and that song because on Volume Two, your newest album, you have Last of the Guitar Heroes. Is that I thought it, question? Huh? I thought that would have been your first question. You know what, though? I, I, it was supposed to be, but Chalfont said, save it till the end. Save it till the end. And I almost forgot it because... Tune in next time. We'll tell the, 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 the famous Tom Morello story who actually said to me one time, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. <laughs> there you go. Tom, Morella, Tom Morello does Doug Henning magic on the next... In the trenches. <laughs> and you can start growing that uh, mustache. And I shaved today for you, by the way. <laughs> you have to... You missed the spot. I know. I know. Um, well, shit. We're going to run across each other at one point. Uh, we're, we're Well, we talked about going out on tour. It doesn't look for you until 2022, right? That's, that's... Say hello to Vinny's and tell him Dennis said, better, better to play 18 than to get the COVID. Check it out. We're going to be playing 18. We're going to be playing whatever it takes, 9, 18, 27. We'll, we'll play golf together. We're going out with Ace Freely between September and October. Everybody cross your fingers, hold your thumbs, do all those kind of things. Uh, do all the things that you're supposed to do to see us musicians uh, play live, which means, you know, just adhere by all the rules. Be cool. And uh, let us do our job. Let us go out there and start rocking and rolling for you because that's what we live for. That's what we, we love to talk about it, obviously. But there's nothing like going to play a live show and seeing your favorite musicians play. And who doesn't want to see Dennis play um, all these songs and more? And, I mean, I didn't even get into the fact of how much I want you guys to, uh, you know, do one final one final go around with the... Next time. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, all right? I'll talk to you about robots. Oh, you can talk to me all about robots. We can talk about, you know, what the fuck? Are we, are we, is, is, is the, is the go-around going to happen? Because I know you're doing the sort of long goodbye with Volumes 1 and Volume 2 of 26 East, and that's okay. But I think people do want to uh, also see, you know, obviously, unfortunately, we can't have the all-original members um, because the two greats have passed. Um, but... Uh, I would like to see that front line out there, of course. And I know maybe it's it's in the back of your, it's in your head a little bit too. It's uh, in the front of my head. All right. All right. Well, guess what? I didn't know how this uh, conversation was going to go. I can't thank you enough for making it beyond what I thought it would be. You know, it's been, it's been great. You've given us so many great stories, so many inspiring things to talk about. I'm going to go back and watch this again. Hopefully all of you do too. Uh, we'll see you next week with Billy Rowe. It's on a Friday. So look out for our uh, uh, sort of advertisement on that. But uh, any parting words that you have, words of wisdom, Dennis Young, you've given us so much today. Golden rule. What is it? The golden rule, do unto others. As they have done That's to you. Okay. For each other, because deep inside, we are all the same. <laughs> I love it. Dennis, we'll see you again next time. There definitely will be a part two. All right. I'm Ryan Rossi. Until next time, we've had Dennis DeYoung in the trenches. Enjoy the ride. Cool. 
In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back. Oh, man. Thank you, brother. Sorry to keep you going. Sorry to keep you going late, buddy. Yo, that was okay? great. Is he there? All right, guys. Thanks. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm out of here. Dude, that was long. It was, that really was long. long. <laughs> it was super long. It was two hours. I was like, I didn't want to freak you. I didn't want to keep you going like no, on too, too long. But, dude, but we're going to cut it up into to, to bite-sized yeah. chunks and get people in there. I'll send it to your manager and your press agent. We'll get some good sound bites going. But uh, I can't wait to uh, do it again and talk to you and, uh, you know, hopefully play some golf. Absolutely. You know, the, the thing is for me is very soon. I won't be doing any of this anymore because I, you know, I've said what I need to say and yeah. made the music I wanted to. So, I, I, I you're, you're maybe one of the very last ones I'm going to do. There'll be a couple more, but it's important just, that these stories get out there, though, Dennis. It really is because you got I, great I think, stories. Because the thing is, this the younger generation doesn't have that experience. Their their window now of success is through like one or two years of YouTube videos instead of. 10 years of touring. We, listen, I'll I'll leave you with this final thought. I was born at the greatest time in the history of mankind to be a musician never before and never after, I believe, will so many of us have the opportunities we had. We were lucky by birth and that's it. It's very true. Very true. All right. Peace out, guys. Have a great one. All right, Dennis. Have a great one. We'll see you soon, buddy. See you, ma'am. Hey, Vic, I will call you in a little bit, buddy. Dude. Thanks for throwing me under the bus there.